About a decade ago, I was in Boston for a conference in mid-June, and it had been a very, very unhappy kind of spring for the people in Boston. It barely, so the story goes, because I was told this, because it was like this when I got there in mid-June, barely a day got above like 55 degrees, and it would rain for two weeks on end, and then they'd get a little bit of fog, and then the rain would start again. It was a miserable season. It was almost sort of like early March just hung on and stayed for months on end, and even though we were approaching summer, it didn't feel like summer was approaching at all. Until about the fourth day of my conference, and that morning, we could see the sun, and about by midday, it was 75, 78 degrees, and I noticed something. I noticed as I was walking out from downtown Boston all the way to Fenway Park, where I was going to go watch a baseball game with a friend of mine, that I saw a lot of, like this, I saw a lot of... I saw a lot of flesh. <laughs> I saw a lot of a lot of skin. And um, now, keep this in mind. I just want to be honest. I believe in telling the truth. Now, I think maybe the first reason that I noticed all this skin is that um, I was about six months out from getting divorced, and I hadn't yet mar- met the woman who I was going to marry, uh, Teresa. And so perhaps all this skin around me sort of started to uh, awaken something. Um, but it was more than that. It was really more than that, I tell you, because where I was visiting Boston from was South Florida. And I lived in a town called Hollywood, right on the beach, which is between Fort Lauderdale and Miami. And no one in South Florida has any problem whatsoever showing any variety of skin <laughs> at any time of the year. And pardon me for saying this, but... You know, if you know South Florida at all, I think in the seven years I was down there, if you know this kind of bikini that I'm talking about, I think I saw more butt floss than I saw dental floss. I mean, it was a place in which people let things hang out. And there was something different about this in Boston, though, because it wasn't just it wasn't show offy. It was actually very, very G rated and very chaste in a lot of ways. It was, I think, a whole city throwing off the shackles of wintertime and remembering their bodies again. Remembering what it was like to kind of unburden themselves, remembering what it was like that they didn't have to be Punxsutawney fills anymore, staying away from the sunlight and just welcoming the sunlight back and reveling in it. And so as a result, I saw all kinds of skin, including my own that day. I mean, fat skin and skinny skin and old skin and young skin and baby skin and, and, and elderly folks and, 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 and dark skin and pale skin and hairy skin and smooth skin, all varieties of skin all around. And it was very, very much like a spring awakening. People just remembering that after this long, dark, cold winter of being sort of shut off and shut out, remembering that once again they had bodies and just kind of reveling in that grace. And because it was so G-rated and it wasn't exploitative, it brought to mind a a short phrase, a short phrase from the Jewish scriptures. They talk about people being naked and unashamed. Now, they weren't fully naked. That would have been an interesting thing in Boston. (laughs) Boston's not that kind of town. It's not Miami. But there was this remarkable lack of shame. 
just kind of revealing the body again. For me, it was a living embodiment of the poem that gives rise to our mission here at Wellsprings, that poem, Singing the Body Electric, in which Walt Whitman, in a radical way, in the 1850s, that was not an American society that wrote long poems extolling the beauty of the human body and all varieties of human bodies. Singing the Body Electric was for him his profound poetic argument that truly body and soul are united when they are at their strongest. And so I figured in this springtime, in this day when nature very much seems to be waking up around us, and perhaps we are waking up within it as well, that this would be a good time to preach about a form of spirituality that doesn't get a lot of notice, a body-positive spirituality. Especially because with springtime and with summertime coming up, we might get some of these coded messages. These coded messages are coded with sometimes shame and self-judgment, especially for some of us where beach season is coming up. You're going to be at the pool soon. Is your body ready to be revealed? Body positive spirituality is something better than that, something deeper than that when we talk about relating to our bodies. Body positive spirituality says that the body plays an integral role in our relationship to our spiritual selves, that the body is not an accident, it's not incidental, it's not a mistake, and it's not an afterthought. Getting in touch with our physical selves is very much a part of our spiritual growth especially in our tradition. And so I'm going to show you something up here, and you'll see it just very briefly. You see that little figure sitting there all peacefully? That, that, that's the figure from my mindfulness app. And, and the school of mindfulness uh, in which I study and in which I teach very much is about starting with the body. It's not about getting anywhere else, although sometimes beautiful altered states of consciousness arise. It's about getting in touch with who we are and where we are. And because body positive spirituality is not about viewing the body as an afterthought, occasionally today and also in the rest of the messages in the series, you will see this crop up. Unpronounced for me. And when you see that little figure, I'm going to ask you to do something. Sometimes when we listen, we can get very caught in our minds. And so when you see that little figure sitting there, I'm going to ask you, just take a second to get back in touch with your bodies. You can do it with the breath. You can do it with literally just putting your hands right here. Get in touch with the body because ultimately all the words I will speak in this series all reach back to that place of connection, of remembering that our body has an integral role to play in our spiritual growth. And in this is an answer to a long and I believe harmful tradition in Western spirituality and in Western philosophy. It's called dualism. Maybe you've heard that word before, dualism. Body versus spirit. Mind versus matter. You are matter. You are lesser. You are mind. You matter more. Matter. Spirits. Oppositions. Rather than instead being seen as something that is unified in our experience of our physical selves. This dualism has caused such damage to bodies over centuries because its central assumption is that the body is a fallen thing. 
The body really doesn't matter because it is pure matter, because it's nature and nature is corrupt and only spirit is real. These kind of oppositions are directly hostile to the kind of spirituality that come from our tradition that invite wholeness in our lives. We can see these kinds of dualism still playing out in our time. We can see them in arguments that are going on all throughout state legislatures. Laws being passed that I believe have a punitive relationship to the body and especially women's bodies. Because that's one of the things about Western dualism. One of those other splits was man, spirit, woman, body. And part of overcoming this tradition is recognizing that that perhaps is the most elemental and unhealthy split there is. Learning not to relate to the body as something that is sinful, that is always going awry, that is lower, that needs control or punitive measures to keep it down. This is where body positive spirituality begins, reclaiming the natural goodness of our bodies, not the perfection, but the natural goodness of our bodies. Now, the opposite of this kind of punitive distrustful relationship with the body is not libertinism is not saying anything goes and if it feels good just do it regardless if you're causing harm to yourself and another person see too often that's the message in our culture which extols certain kinds of bodies you know the bodies that look quote-unquote the right way the bodies that do remarkable athletic feats, the bodies that are, I don't know, what would the ideal age be? 32.6? And anything above that is considered old. Getting back in touch with the inherent goodness and decency of our bodies means that we start to critique the fact that our culture really doesn't love the body, it idolizes certain kinds of bodies. It puts some on a pedestal, and because it puts some on the pedestal, it degrades the other kinds of bodies. The quote-unquote weak bodies, or the sick bodies, or the infirm bodies, the bodies we don't like to see, the bodies that we like to put in hospitals and not go visit, the kinds of bodies that we can render invisible because they remind us of our own mortality. Getting back in touch with the natural goodness of the body is to say, most profoundly, all bodies matter. All bodies matter. Now, body positive spirituality doesn't mean that we feel good about our bodies or we feel good in our bodies all the time. If that was the case, I could not give this message because I could not give that with integrity. That is not the way that I always relate to my physical self. But it means that we're staying in touch with the body as it is. Sometimes even when it's silly, sometimes when we are, the body seems not at all majestic or not at all wonderful. Sometimes just downright silly. I remember a number of years ago, uh, my mindfulness teacher, one of my mindfulness teachers, talked about being at a yoga retreat. And they were going through their opening mindful postures, mindful asanas, mindful stretches. And there was someone kind of in the back of her who she couldn't quite see, but she could hear. Because this person in the midst of their stretches and their postures started and pardon me for this, but it's true, started burping. 
and then started farting. It's all right. You can Twitter a little bit. It's okay. You can tee-hee. The body does some funny stuff, and that's part of learning to love the body as well, too. And at first, my mindfulness teacher said she was embarrassed. And then she said she got a little annoyed. But mindfulness is all about paying attention to the emotions that are arising. And she said eventually, as the burping and the farting kind of continued, she said, you know what? This is my hang-up here. The person who's over here doing all this stuff and just going through stretches... She's probably so completely at ease and at peace. And what is my deal that I keep pushing back on this? That's what it is to recognize that we can relate to the body just as it is sometimes even when it's doing silly stuff. Because if we can relate to our bodies when they are not somehow majestic or amazing or wonderful, then we can enter into something that is very different from dualism with the body. We can enter into true stewardship of the body. We learn to see our bodies as a gift that we receive for a certain amount of time. Fragile things, vulnerable things. And in their fragility and vulnerability comes their very beauty. In the stewardship of the body, we know that true soul cannot skip, doesn't want to skip over over what it is to have a body, because that leads to immature spirituality, that leads to dualistic spirituality, that leads to harmful spirituality. You want to see how harmful? Let me show you the most famous villain of our time. Fictional villain, at least, that is. I think you all know him, maybe. Lord Voldemort. Lord Voldemort, who was so overwhelmed with the need to save his own soul and guarantee his own personal immortality, that he took his soul apart and therefore lost the capacity in the magical world of Harry Potter to have a body. By splitting body and soul apart, he got to have neither. As our great teacher Thoreau says, which of us can imagine trying to kill time and also not simultaneously injure eternity? If we try to kill, try to deny, try to harm the body, we do grave injury to our spiritual lives as well. And this is what Harry says to Lord Voldemort in their final battle. In their final moment, and Harry, and I'm not going to get into all the Harry Potter mythology here, because probably half of you know it and the other half will just stare slack-jawed at me as I try to talk about golden snitches and resurrection stones and blah 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 But the point is, is that Harry gets a view at the kind of the, the life to come, and he sees Lord Voldemort living this awful limbo state of existence, neither fully living, fully dying, being neither a soul Or a body, and it's horrible, and Harry being called back into life because of those magical objects that I just said. In this final battle with Lord Voldemort, he says, this is your last chance. It's your one last chance. It's all you've got left. I've seen what you will become otherwise. So be a man. Try. Try for some remorse for all those bodies that you've injured. And when he says, be a man, by the way, I don't think that has anything to do with, like, you know, man up. He's saying, be a person. Be a body again. Remember all those bodies that you did damage to. Remember the cost that you have done to your own body in thinking you can split body and soul. I mean, that's the thing with Lord Voldemort. He is split right down the middle, and because of that, he can never be whole. And from that lack of wholeness, he does damage to other people. 
When we alienate ourselves from our bodies, very often we see it so often. We see it in public policy. We see it in psychology. We see that people who are split off from their own bodies, especially if they hate their own bodies but they can't admit it, what do they do? They start blaming other bodies. They start blaming different, quote-unquote, people, the others. And their bodies take on all the unhealthy, unnatural so-called characteristics that we cannot deal with within ourselves. So instead of splitting ourselves, a body-positive spirituality says that the goal of us, and this is never once and accomplished all at once and forever, is the goal of reunioning our lives, of integrating our lives, body and soul, and relating our spiritual awakening to what is going on in our bodies. The opposite of what is called dualism is another philosophical school called monism. And I'm not going to get too much into explaining what that is, but I think you kind of get it. Dualism meaning two and split. Monism meaning one and unified and integrated. And you know what? You just sang the most monistic song that I know. And it's one of our favorite songs that we do here at Wellsprings. Holy now. Holy now is monism. It's not saying that the holy, the sacred, is reserved for only special times or special places, special occasions. But monism says that the holy is everywhere. And so spiritual growth is not in spite of or in rejection to or of our bodies, but with and through the body. The goal is not to overcome the body or idealize it or reject it or loathe it, but to learn to relate to it, because how else would we know what real awakening to our lives feels like if not through and with the capacities of our bodily lives? Sometimes in spirituality, in rejection of the body, we can go to some very interesting extremes. This is the story of the young man, the Buddha. In his journey towards enlightenment, I mean, he was given everything as a young man. He was a young prince. He was denied absolutely no bodily appetite that he would wish. He had everything possible until the day when he woke up and he said, you know what? I don't get to keep this forever. This stuff that I'm enjoying is impermanent, and I thought it was always going to be here. And so he takes the opposite tack in his quest for enlightenment. He decides, because he's had everything, he's going to rebalance the scales, and he is going to live on one grain of rice a day. One grain of rice a day. You know what he finds? Which is that he had to put so much energy into not being hungry on one grain of rice a day, that it was just as harmful to him when he was feeding all of his bodily appetites. And so he comes back to that place called center and moderation that perhaps so many of us are trying to find in this life. This place in which we say, this is enough. For some of us, that is not an easy journey. And that's why it's so important, because in it we learn to pay more attention to what is going on around us with other bodies, and we learn to pay more attention to what is going on inside of our own bodies. To get into the body is to get into the soul, just as Walt Whitman said, and it works the same way, vice versa. This is part of a larger spirituality that really can be healing for our world in which we stop seeking escape clauses to go somewhere else. And we start accepting entrance tickets into becoming enchanted with our world, our bodies, other people's bodies, 
again. We live in this amazingly rich time in which we can, in all kinds of cool scientific ways, peer into the ways in which when we form our souls, we form our bodies. I mean, just read this not too long ago, that there's a, a, a study that was done about patients who, who had uh, heart issues, heart failure, relative degrees of heart failure, and that those who did moderate forms of yoga on a regular basis reduced their experiences of arrhythmias by 50%. This ancient spiritual modality of healing is about the body, not just the soul. To study the fMRIs, the brain scans of people who regularly meditate, who do the simple act of simply saying, I'm going to breathe intentionally, I'm going to relate to whatever is here. What's going on in the body there is that the parts of the brain that are associated with anger, fear, aggression, the reptile brain, the brain that says there never is enough and never can be enough, so I'm going to get mine or screw you first so I can get mine, those parts of the brain start to go quiet. The parts of the brain associated with compassion and love and belonging and connection, those parts of the brain, which is to say those parts of the body grow as we feed them so we are fed but this is not new stuff it's just being studied in a new way the oldest possible proof we have of the connection between body and soul is what is timeless or at least as old as our species is as old and recognizable to us which is that when we really ask ourselves how do we receive and give Love and kindness. How do we receive and give grace? How do we receive and give compassion? Most of us have the experience of getting that through being embodied creatures. In fact, I'm not even sure I would know at all what love was if I didn't have a body. We know love and compassion because we are embodied creatures. And that's why being embodied is a gift. I love these words from Toni Morrison, the great novelist, who in her historical novel of the time after slavery for African Americans, Beloved, has warned the characters giving a sermon to some of the other recently freed but still very much living in difficulty former slaves. Remembering that this is a society that hated their bodies, that saw their bodies as debased, that saw their bodies as something awful and ugly. And so the character preaches to her fellow former slaves, you have flesh that needs to be loved. You have feet that need to rest and feet that need to dance. Backs that need support, shoulders that need arms, strong arms, I am telling you. Hear me now. Love your heart, for this is the prize. I think it is the prize because it shows up. It shows up for us in real ways. When we can accept the connection and live out the connection between soul and body, you know what we start doing? We start loving those bodies that might be difficult to love, including our own. We start loving not just the pretty so-called bodies. We start loving the older bodies. The sick bodies, the dying bodies, the young bodies as well too, the fat bodies, the thin bodies. And we know that love is not an indulgence. It's the kind of love that gives us permission to be fully human and to be connected and to be healthy and to be whole. 
I mean, that's right now. I mean, they, you just saw some of them come down and get coffee not too long ago, probably. But our kids, that's what they're doing. They're doing our whole lives, which is a comprehensive, progressively, spiritually values-based sexuality education curriculum. And it is so much more than who does what with whom and where. So much more than just the plumbing. It is about the value and the values of bringing body and soul together and expressed in respect and in love and knowing how to make wise choices that relate to our bodies and other people's bodies. So to end this, and I know today has been an overview, I'm going to dig into some of these themes more in weeks to come. In living our whole lives, we recognize that the word whole and holy share the same exact root meaning. They come from the word for health. And by health, I'm not talking as in disease-free or perfect health or having the exact right kind of blood pressure, the kind you should have. I'm talking about the kind of health that is about well-being. The opportunity to own our lives, the opportunity to occupy our lives, and to live from whatever our bodily circumstances are as fully as we can. When we do that, we experience grace, which is just another name for a reunion, which is so much better than living lives that are fragmentary. So today... I wish you wholeness and holiness. And more than anything else, just remember to connect with your bodies. I'll try to do the same. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. Oh, great divine spark. Echoing from the first flickers of creation to this very time and this very age, our age. Knowing that creation is not something formed long ago and far away, but creation is going on right now in our midst. And may we, in our ability to bring body and soul together to heal that which sometimes the world or violence takes apart, may we recognize that we are participating in the healing of creation because we are not separate from it. We are a part of it. And so as we heal and experience greater wholeness, so too do we contribute to the healing of the whole creation. As I said at the start, this charge, this mission, comes to one word. Connect. And may we be connected today. Amen.